Hello, and welcome to the Leadership Collective Podcast, a conversation focusing on the challenges that leaders face in ministry. Each month, we sit down with seasoned ministry leaders to discuss the nuts and bolts of how they've navigated challenges in ministry and the lessons they've learned along the way. I'm Ted Leavenworth, pastor of Reliance Church in Temecula, California. And I'm Rob Sabato, lead pastor at Calvary Vista in Vista, California. Um, the burden that I feel that I think gets translated into vision is, Lord, I know you have us here and I know you've surrounded us with great people and, and they love you and they love this community, love this church. And, and what, what great emphasis, what mark uh, are you going to make This is episode one of the Leadership Collective podcast, and I'm super excited about this conversation that we're going to have today and the guests that are going to be joining us. We're going to be talking today about all things vision. We're going to be discussing different styles of setting vision for your ministry, how do you cast vision for your ministry, and how do you pivot when a crisis or a pandemic hits, not that we haven't experienced a lot of that recently. Uh, you know, it's a, it, we're going to ask as well, is it possible to pivot and still maintain the overall vision that God has given for your ministry? And our guests today are going to be Nate Holdridge of Calvary Chapel Monterey and Ed Taylor from Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. You know, Ted, I'm really looking forward to this conversation as well, because we, we all know how important vision is. We're told in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, it reads this way in the King James Version, without vision, the people perish. Another translation puts it, without vision, they run wild. Yeah. Like there's just no direction whatsoever. And one of my favorite, this is like a life verse for me, Habakkuk 2.2, which says, write the vision and make it plain so that those who read it may run with it. But what I find so interesting about vision is that, you know, leaders approach it in so many different ways. You know, Nate's a 25-year guy. He's casting a broad vision for his church. Other guys are more five to 10-year uh, plan. Some guys are a three-year plan and others are sort of year to year. Um, so Ted, how do you guys approach vision at Reliance? Well, I think, first of all, the, the importance of distinguishing between general vision and specific vision mm. are, are really important. You know, for example, uh, for us, uh, we have an overarching general vision that the Lord has given to me for the, the trajectory of our church. And so, um, you know, to sum it up in one word, it's discipleship. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Greg Laurie might say that to sum up in one word, what he's doing is evangelism. You yeah. know, and so for us, there's a general vision and, you know, we articulate that vision this way. We say that, you know, we exist to make disciples, to know, love, and serve Jesus. Mm-hmm. So so that's our general vision. But then that has um, some specific uh, categories. So, you know, for us specifically to accomplish that general vision, you know, if you're going to make disciples, you first got to have a disciple. So, so evangelism is a key part of our vision. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Um, you know, leadership training is a, a key part of our vision. You know, education, uh, mentoring is a key part of our vision, um, and so you know, these are these are specific you know ways. So then you get there into you know the specifics of how you accomplish that. So you know, in general, there's there's a trajectory that's already set, and that's going to transcend the calendar year. Um, but that informs as well some of the things that that we do as well. In addition to that, you know, I've got, um, 
I'm entering into, if the Lord allows me, I'm entering into the fourth quarter of my ministry. Mm. So I'm looking, you know, that's that's looking way down the road. I, you know, we're looking a decade down the road, which sounds like a lot of time, but I mean, I've got shirts that are older than that, you know. <laughs> that's so true. And so part of my that informs my specific vision, where I'm I'm thinking, okay, I got to start thinking now about a transition plan for me, mm-hmm. you know. So I'm it, that's informing, okay, how am I tra- who am I training up? How am I training them up? And you know, setting that. But getting into the specifics, I'm more of a, having said all of that, and that entails down, you know, long looking further than your calendar year, but I'm really more of a year-to-year guy. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of how I tick. So, you know, we're taking all of these things in general, but then I'm seeking the Lord for this year, you know, and sitting down with my guys in advance of the coming year and talking about those things. What do you, what do, you do, Ron? Well, I definitely, um, we have an overall vision as well, like you do, um, very, very similar in that. And I'm definitely a forward thinker, and so I'm thinking ahead at um, some things that I feel like the Lord wants to do that could be five to ten years out, and there's definitely some burdens on my heart that I'm praying about. But over the last few years, I could sum up our vision process at Calvary Vista with this phrase, catching the wave. And, here, and here's what I mean by that. If you've ever surfed or bodyboarded or watched someone who knows how to catch waves, here's what you'll find. They're constantly looking out toward the horizon. They're looking for that set that's going to be rolling in. They're looking for that perfect wave. And when they see the wave forming, they paddle over into position and wait to then catch it. And from there, the wave does most of the work. Well, about five years ago, I realized that some of the best ministry that has come out of Calvary Vista has happened in that way. And so I look at you know, ministry or, or kind of where the Lord has us, like we're in this ocean of humanity and God is bringing waves. Right. And so we're looking for the wave of effective ministry, the wave for reaching our community, the wave for doing missions. And when we see it forming, we, we recognize, okay, God's doing something here. And we try to paddle over to get into position and then watch as the Lord takes us for a ride. And some of you know, for instance, our involvement in Eastern Europe and in Russia over the years where we helped plant tons of churches happened just like that. Right same on. thing Same thing in Costa Rica. Um, and let me give you one example from 2020. At the beginning of last year, really toward the end of, of 2019, one of the things that was just really heavy on our hearts was, you know, we wanted to do... We wanted to make an impact in our community in a more practical sense, you know, to meet practical, physical needs. You know, we're in a low-income community here in Vista, and so there's a lot of hurting people around us. And so we were just kind of praying and looking. We're looking at the horizon. Okay, Lord, how do we do that? And we met a guy who was doing this food distribution ministry, and he wanted— um, and we wanted to help support him. You know, we're like, right. hey, you know, this is guy's like a wave. You know, we want to get behind him. And so we were thinking like we could give him some, you know, money, help him get food and that type of thing. And he had a better idea. He said, <laughs> he said, uh, how about if you let me use your parking lot once a week on Wednesday mornings and you provide workers? And he says, I'll bring the food. I'll bring, he brings a semi truck full right. of food. I'll bring the food. You provide the parking lot. You provide the workers. And in 2020, we served 
50,000 families in our community through that partnership. That's amazing. You know, so that that's what I mean. It's like there's an example like okay, here's this wave that's forming, you know, and and so you know, what we're looking at is is the wave could be an opportunity, it could be an open door, it could be a person, right. you know, that we just want to get behind. And so that's been our approach over the last few years and the Lord's really you know, seem to work well in that way for us. Yeah, I love that. Okay, let's jump into today's roundtable conversation with Nate Holdridge and Ed Taylor. Welcome to the conversation, guys. So today we're going to talk about vision. And uh, Nate, we're going to start with you. Uh, when it comes to setting vision for your church, um, you're looking really far out. You're, you are a guy who has a 25-year vision plan. And so what's the thought process in planning that far out for you? Well, yeah, thanks for having us on the show with you guys. And, you know, for me, it really doesn't have much to do with being some kind of visionary person. I really don't see myself in in that way. If anything, vision is really hard for me uh, to come by because most of what I have a vision for as as a pastor, I'm just a strong, strongly oriented towards being a uh, pastor teacher. So, so much of my vision has to do with that particular role as a pastor teacher, where I'm going over the next 25 years, what I want to produce as teaching for the next 25 years, the stuff I want to write over the next 25 years. So a lot of it has to do with that, with the role uh, of a pastor teacher and the pulpit work I want to do, the written work I want to do, all of that. It's partly the 25 year. It's partly a vision, not just for our church, our local congregation, but for our entire church community. I just find that when I think about something 25 years out, I'm able to dream a little bit more beyond just the walls of our fellowship and into the entire Monterey Peninsula, which is where we're located. And so some of the 25-year things have to do with the full, you know, Monterey Peninsula, the churches I'd like to see planted, the legacy of Bible preaching, gospel preaching that we'd like to leave behind, the Christ-centered focus, not just in our church, but in all the churches of this region, region is kind of where that you know, vision takes me. So it's partly a vision for our entire church community. And, uh, you know, so that's kind of the way it works for me. I I try to detach in the 25-year vision the spiritual realities that I hope to see from things like buildings and budgets, because the more that buildings and budgets for me become part of the 25 year plan, the more murky things mm. get. I need to be seeing the kind of spiritual tone and emphasis and health and revival and all of that, that I'm hoping for in this community in 25 years. And my prayer is that the buildings and the budget and all of that stuff is going to be a reflection of all those things in the future. And so I I try to do a little detaching. It's more like in the five-year realm that I'm thinking more about, you know, buildings and all that, because you have to. But for me, it's more about the atmosphere that I'm wanting to see over the next 25 years. I think it's encouraging for uh, our listeners to hear you share that 
uh, vision is um, is challenging for you that it's that it's daunting um, and because uh, you know we um, you know we're all familiar with uh, the the Bible's admonition that without vision the people perish and so we feel this burden as though man I have to have this <clears throat> this vision um, but mm-hmm. it, it is a weighty thing right that we're uh, that we are re- you know responsible for and so you you'd mentioned your five year plan uh, factoring you know in various things so um, how how does how do how do you uh, reconcile your, your your broader twenty five year vision with your your five year plan? Can can you unpack that for us? Sure. Yeah. The for me the that's where as I said earlier that's where the buildings and the budgets kind of start coming into play. So this to me you know the twenty five year thing that's more of Nate my heart the stuff that all declare to the congregation, you know, and the hopes and dreams that Christina, my wife and I have for our lives and what we'd like God to do in us and through us over the next, you know, couple of decades. But the five-year thing, that's where the church leadership really comes into play a little bit more. And we start asking questions about the congregation's immediate health in reflection on the big vision that we have overall, you know, is there anything that we need to help them with in the next five years? Are there any initiatives that we need to undertake? Are there any opportunities that God is presenting before us that we need to heavily invest in? Uh, For us, I I think five years, you asked the question, you know, with five years, and we've never like thought of it like exactly as a five-year plan, but I think that's a great number because there's a, there's so much that shifts inside Mm of about that length of time where five years from today, I mean, you think back five years, the world is so different today (laughs) than it was, you know, five years ago. Right. And so five years from now, there'll probably be different expressions of what we need to do in this congregation to meet our objectives obviously there's going to be some things that stay the same and that's probably, those are the kind of things that translate into that 25 year mark for me, stuff that are convictions in my heart that there's no way I'm going to let go of them. I'll be doing them till the day I die kind of stuff. But the five year things, it's like, well, Hey, you know, maybe, maybe this building that we thought was for, you know, a second sanctuary, maybe that needs to be repurposed because there's a new need in our community, our new need in our fellowship. And so just, you know, I think that's, you know, for us, that's where staffing comes into play a lot more. We're not asking, you know, is this a 25 year staff member as much as it's more, Hey, over the next five years, is this person supposed to run with us, you know, kind of thing. So it's probably the five year mark is probably a little bit more where we're practically you know, are operating on a day-to-day basis. So is the five-year, um, within the five-year, would you say that's a lot more fluid because it's contingent upon what's changing, you know, in culture and in the community of your fellowship and that type of thing, Nate? I'd say the one year is probably what's really fluid. Um, I'm trying to come up with another substance to describe the five-year because it definitely has <laughs> flexibility, but 
there is some rigidity to it because you can't every year tell your church where you're going in the next five years you right. know, and, and, and change it each year, you know, gotcha. because in five years you can accomplish some pretty significant things if you stick with it, you know, but from year to year you might have to shift. So like, for instance, I was over looking over a document that I wrote for our whole church and then wrote in more detailed uh, a detailed way for our staff and our pastors about three years ago. And it was kind of our five year, like here's what the next five years need to look like some big picture initiatives. And over the last three years, you know, being three years into these five years, there's been a lot that's changed, but we're still trending in that same overall direction. We're still trying to get to that same spot, but you know, you hit different crossroads and you realize, well, you know, this part of the plan is going to need to shift. And so I wouldn't say fluid in the sense that it's hyper movable, but, you know, it's got to be flexible. Gotcha. At least that's how it is for us. Okay. So, Ed, um, I've been to your church and you have an amazing ministry there. God's done an incredible work with you guys there in, in Aurora, Colorado, and and um how how would how's your approach to vision different from Nate's and maybe how is it similar? How how do you approach vision? Well that's it's pretty interesting listening to Nate and thinking, especially when I was reviewing these questions and thinking twenty five year vision. I don't think I've ever I'm a I'm a planner. Uh I'm an administrator at heart, kinda I have the gift of leadership administration. I, I like things decently and in order. However, I don't know that I've ever thought, <clears throat> even for my own personal life, like he was sharing uh, with he and his wife and for my own personal life of what I would think could happen or desire to do in 25 years. And I thought that's interesting. So that would probably be one of the differences in, in the sense that even in the ministry here, uh, we've only just finished now 21 years. And it caused me to really think as he was talking like, hmm. What would I have wanted if I, what, you know, when we first started the church, what would it be? How would the church be in uh, 25 years? And I'd probably think back then, man, I just hope there's, there is a church. (laughs) And, uh, and, and so, you know, there's probably a difference there, even in a five year plan, because I don't, we don't even, we don't have a five year plan. And, and I've never even thought of a 25 year plan in, in the sense that's not to say that we don't plan that's not to say that we don't look ahead but you know i think the similarities in in the heart of a shepherd and a pastor that that i i know that we all share together is that care and concern for the church that care and concern for our community uh knowing that we have a place that that we are surrounded by wonderful congregations of churches that are similar as well you and yet unique in their own calling and what god is really wanting to do so how can we collaborate with them uh i think that i think that we're similar in the sense that i know the lord wants us to have a rallying point that's kind of how i view vision as i was thinking this through like the vision or the direction uh for the church is is like a, a rallying point you know why why did that in 1998 there was no Calvary Church uh, that existed in our city. Uh, there wasn't one there. And so why, and I've always approached the question, why then did God begin a church? Why did he move us out to that 
area of the country? Why did he decide to use us? And we ask that question every year. Uh, and I think we'll get into it a little bit later, but we ask that question even of the staff every year. Why are we here? What What is it that God wants to accomplish uh, in in using this little church? Where do we fit in the community? Where do we fit in the body of Christ? Where 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 is it that he wants to uh, move resources through us in in the core vision. So, you know, the core vision, um, we reduced it down uh, following uh, the pattern of some other churches, win, disciple, and send, mm-hmm. um, very evangelistic. And then we reduced that down over the years to here's our vision in one word, evangelism. Mm-hmm. And that's that's our core movement of the church through, you know, teaching of the word, edifying the saints, building them up. Uh, there's a lot that goes into that. And then we get into, you know, unique things every year. But I think they're very similar in care and concern for the church and the community, um, but different in the sense that uh, we I don't have a five-year plan for the church. Mm. So it's is it, would you say it's more year to year? It is more year to year. And we kind of use the calendar year uh, as the rallying point. You know, we don't, we don't have a scheduled, I know uh, a lot of my friends, a lot of our friends have, the scheduled day that that's vision Sunday. Um, we don't have a vision Sunday, but we certainly, as the year's winding down and that that's symbolic. And I mean, how many of us were just waiting for 2020 to end uh, <laughs> symbolic or not. And just like, okay, here's a new year. Everybody's thinking new. Everybody's, it just makes it easier to use that new year. Uh, mm-hmm. Especially if you're making massive changes that, okay, we're all making changes. Let's just roll with it. Right, right. Now, Ed, before we talk about casting vision, I want to ask you, who is involved in the setting of vision for your church? Is there a team that you gather with and and kind of talk this through? How does it happen at Calvary Aurora? So as the year's winding down and we're kind of reflecting back on the previous year and looking ahead to a new year, uh, I I spend some time alone because I really believe the Lord chooses a man raises up a man, uh, gives him that responsibility uh, in our in our movement, you know, in our family of churches, that senior pastor, that lead pastor. Uh, and and I just pray that, Lord, what what are you doing? Because usually there, it, usually it's not a radical. It's not a massive black and white change from mm-hmm. year to year. It's like a nuanced direction. It's a nuanced mm-hmm. Um, maybe a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right, and and we begin to pray, and then and then I meet with the guys, our pastoral team, and we ask a sim- we ask a question, and we don't always use the exact words, but here's the mindset: If we were planting this church again this year, we just all moved here, and we we pl- we're planting this church as it is with the people we have and all the resources that God's entrusted to us, what would we do differently? Or what could we do? Or how how would we launch off into the year like we like we were when when I first moved here? Of course, I moved here alone, just the five of us, and that was my mindset. And so I'm always thinking, well, God has entrusted with entrusted us with these resources, and we collaborate together so that we can bounce ideas off, and everybody is we're developing a like mindedness that way, and. Uh, and it, it usually ends up with a text. I, I usually bring a text to that group, to our pastor's meeting, and we talk it through. We I, I listen to the different nuances of what they have. 
uh, and so I, I, I see the vision developed for our church um, really through me and that heartbeat of, of what God is wanting to accomplish here. But then now that there's a team of men around me and has been for many years, I'm really eager to, to verify, to make sure I heard from the Lord correctly, to, to adapt and change where they are, where they are in the body. And, and then usually it, it ends up with um, some real laser focused, here's where the Lord's taken us. I love that. And one of the things I really love about Ted and I getting to do this podcast is we're, we're going to learn a lot right. over the course of the, the year with all the different guests. I love that whole idea of we're going to, you know, we ask the question, what would we do if we were planting fresh? Uh, that's so good. What, what about at your church, Nate? Who's involved in setting the vision for your church? It's very similar to what Ed just shared. I think I'd probably add the nuance or just kind of start with, I don't, I'm not trying to be cute or clever with it, but in a sense, everyone is involved with setting the vision uh, of the church because, like Ed said, with our style of church government, uh, my heart, my focus, what what God is saying to me, you know, really matters a lot in our fellowship. But I think as he was alluding to, one of the big ways that God speaks to me is, you know, definitely alone in prayer and in the Word and with my pastoral team and, and all of that. But as I'm just interacting with people in the congregation or in the community, I'm mm-hmm. hearing things mm-hmm. that, that they might not be saying, you know what the church needs to do? They're not saying that. I mean, obviously people do say those types of things. We've all had that experience. But when I'm talking to a 19-year-old kid that's working at the local coffee shop and, you know, hearing where, what his struggles are, that's God forming mm. more vision for me about our fellowship. So that's what I mean by, in a sense, it's like everyone is involved in shaping that vision. But to put it, you know, succinctly with like, who's actually involved in the real discussions about it, you know, it's, it's me before the Lord. I, I would say parenthetically, my wife is kind of really involved in that first level. You know, she's not leading in the church in any official capacity, but she's my number one sounding board. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's processing a lot of these things with me and asking me lots of searching questions as I'm kind of groping for that vision with God. Then there's the elders in the church. And, you know, I know elders is probably a loaded term for a lot of people because people define those, uh, that office in a lot of different ways. But for us, elders merely means pastors who are working here at the church. So my elder team, And then, you know, eventually the financial board that, you know, because we do have a, you know, independent financial board that's voting on the major expenditures and the, you know, approving the budget and all of that, you know, at the end of the day, they do need to come along and catch the vision as well. So I like to include them in there as well, because I would, I personally don't ever, I've never had to, and I don't want to, but come to the place where I have to kind of run roughshod over the elder group or the financial board group. It's not that I'm operating looking for their permission, but I want to lead them 
into the vision and have them feeling as if they've had an opportunity to be heard, to give feedback and all of that. So I'd say myself with my wife, the elders, and then the financial board, uh, lastly. That's excellent. And it leads us right into the idea of casting vision and, you know, just a a summary of what, what I hear you both saying is that, you know, you're getting away with the Lord. You're seeking the Lord for uh, general uh, sense and general vision, general and specific direction from Him, and then meeting with you know the guys that God has entrusted you with that are a key part of your team to uh, be able to to seek the wisdom of a multitude of counselors and to, for them to you know help inform or shape that, which is beautiful, uh, and then now taking it out to uh, you know the broader circles of those that are laboring with us. Um, and, and Nate, this question will start with you, is uh, communicating that vision to your staff and your leaders. I'm talking about, I mean, you've fairly shared with us how you go about approaching communicating to the key men in your inner circle, uh, key people in your inner circle. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, once you've kind of settled on your, your direction, how then do you go about casting the vision? You, you touched on it about, you know, with your financial mm-hmm. board. But uh, take that, unpack that for us. Yeah, I was looking at this question that you had sent ahead of time. You know, how do you communicate vision to your staff and leaders? And honestly, my first response was poorly. (laughs) 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 Well, that's why we asked it, because Rob and I are just grabbing at straws here. They they called us Nate ahead of time. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They're like, please interview Nate about this. He needs to work on it. I I think, I, I don't know if anybody, you know, listening to this will be able to relate, but I'm kind of one of those people that if I say it one time, I can make the mistake of assuming that I've covered it. You know, I shared the vision once (laughs) and everybody's got it right. You know, why do I have to keep on saying it over and over and over again? And what I've discovered over the years, and I'm definitely still trying to grow in is that there seems to be no end in how much I can communicate the vision, both to leadership Mm -hmm. and to the congregation. And I've also discovered that nobody can really communicate for me as good as I can. You know, in other words, if I'm punting vision casting to other people, it just doesn't work Mm -hmm. as well. So practically speaking, here are some ways that I've tried to communicate vision to our staff and leaders. The first is, and this is just the way my mind works, but I'm a, I'm a writer by nature. I've got to get my thoughts organized in written form. And so I've tried to harness that over the years in not just writing so that I can prepare to say it to everybody, but also to publish it, print it, and send it to them so that they, if they're wired that way, they can do more than just hear me say the vision, but they can also see it written down. So that's one thing that I try to focus on is writing. A second one is I've found that um, for me, it just works well to get off site with my uh, pastors. And for some reason, when we, you know, go to some 
buddy in the church's house, you know, that's nicer than all of our houses <laughs> and we sit in their backyard or whatever. It just means something to those men and they know this is a, a serious time. This is a holy moment. So I've found that offsites with my pastors are helpful in communicating vision. I've also found that having an all staff meeting and obviously, you know, when we're talking to church pastors, you know, some pastors have staffs, some pastors have no staffs, but we all have key leadership. Yes. So this is where I have a key leadership meeting, not necessarily other pastors, but just people that are key and involved in the church. I find that gathering all of them together and sharing my heart and vision is helpful. And then a fourth thing that I found really helpful for casting vision, to be honest with you, is to uh, keep on the church calendar and a uh, introduction to our church class constantly available every two or three months to people that are new to the congregation. Because for us, we call it intro to Calvary. And in that class, there's all these new people, but I find that it's almost more invigorating for all the pastors who are required to be there meeting these new people to rehear the vision. And it's important for me to reconnect to it before I declare it to them in this class. So that just like keeps me on pace and on schedule to be sharing it, um, not just with the people there, but with the, the key pastors. And then finally, the fifth thing I'd say about how I communicate it is um, from the pulpit. Uh, and, and I know you're asking, how do I communicate it to staff and leaders? That is one of the ways that I do it, because I believe that the pulpit drives the church's vision and is one of the greatest resources for accomplishing the church's vision. So what I don't mean is because, I'm you know, we'll do the you know vision presentations and all that kind of stuff. I'm not talking about that right now. What I'm talking about from the pulpit is in the flow of almost every teaching I give, I'm looking for parts of the text that reflect where our church is going mm -hmm. and talk about that for just a minute or so in the teaching. And I think if you have a biblical vision that is that that is the emphasis that God has, then you're going to find ample opportunities to talk about that from the Word because it's what God's about. Mm -hmm. So... I try to sprinkle in our church's vision often in the public, you know, declaration of the word, hoping and believing that staff and key leaders are catching that, picking up on that and kind of putting the dots to, or the pieces together, connecting the dots as they uh, listen. That's excellent. Um, you know, John Maxwell talks about casting vision um, and leading and how he has these intrinsic circles where he'll bring people uh, his key people in, he'll begin to share an initiative with them, and then he listens to their response, the questions that they ask, the pushback that he gets, and then uh, that that then, he says, informs him for the next group that he's going to meet. Yeah. That in, in hearing those questions and answering those questions, what it does is it gives him an opportunity to clarify his vision and then also informs him about, okay, this is going to be what's coming up next. But it also, having had that opportunity to address with his leaders these questions and answer them for them, they then are enlisted for the next meeting to where they can participate in the casting of the vision. Do you find that to be true? Absolutely. I'll tell people sometimes, you know, if I'm 
sharing vision with a pastor or my elder team, I'll tell them, I'm practicing on you right now. That's what's <laughs> happening. This is, this is practice. And push back, you know, because I, 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 what are you hearing when I say these words? Because I know what I'm saying, yeah. or I think I know what I'm saying, but what are you hearing? And help me shape this better than uh, just kind of this first rough draft. That's awesome. How about you, Ed? Communicating to to the to the staff and the leaders is is a lot of fun. I'm a big whiteboard guy, so in our conference room we've got a whiteboard, and now you know as we're meeting with distancing and stuff, we've got to roll a whiteboard into where we're we're having our staff meeting. But I like to I like to to put a title up on the whiteboard and talk about it, and then just write down everybody's views, everybody's input, everybody's questions kind of interacting it's it's like uh interacting with the people in front of me and then interacting with the the whiteboard and then at the end we could take a picture of it and send it around that it'll spark everybody's memory of the moment that they were in and and kind of hold them accountable to what we talked about and and uh, bring some conclusions but you know when i'm thinking vision i'm thinking at least two tiers to that like as i'm listening to nate and hearing hearing how i see two tiers you know you have the overall why does this church exist where we are revamping our assimilation tools of bringing people in and teaching them about the church, uh, teaching them about where we came from, uh, who we are, where we're going type of, of, of information. And then I think of the second tier, which is more along the lines of, now what's God doing today? What do we see in the next month or two, three, four, you know, I think is, as we talk about the pivot in a minute with the pandemic, that's a great uh, that, that's a great example of how important it is to clarify where we all are, um, make sure we're all on the same page. But but I like to you know I think for many many years uh, here in my pastoral ministry, I I made I made a huge mistake uh, along these lines of communication, and and that mistake surrounded what I perceived. Whether someone taught me it or not, it, it really doesn't matter. I just learned it by observation, and I learned it incorrectly. And that was I would spend more time with the multitudes and more time thinking about the multitudes, more time um, integrating and, and going after the lost than I did with those that were closest to me. Uh, and my assumption was is that, hey, man, Jesus came to seek and save the lost, so let's get into the community, let's interface, let's connect. And these other men and women that are um, lay leaders and then later staff members, um, they they would uh, they're already on board. You know, they're already here, so they're committed. They don't need a lot of my time. Um, the time needs to go to the new people, and and of course, it was a few years into into the ministry here where um, I was greatly convicted for such a a really bad mistake. Mm. And studying the life of Jesus. Um, this is how, so this is my philosophy now looking forward. Jesus spent more time with the people closest to him, mm-hmm. um, or you could say the people closest to him got more of his time than the multitudes. And whether it's Peter, James, and John, whether it's the 12, you know, there, you could draw, uh, as you said with John Maxwell, concentric circles of the people that would get the most amount of attention. So the, the people closest to me, need to get most of my attention. We need to talk through mm-hmm. things. We need to um, m- make sure that we're on the same page in terms of where they are, what we're doing. But at the same time, if you're listening into this podcast, like in my mind, 
this is not a complicated thing. Um, as a matter of fact, if if you would have asked me uh, what the vision is of our church, I don't know that like I have this great burden to have a vision for the church, um, uh, or or even as it comes up in in January, like oh my gosh, it's a new year, we better have a new vision. I don't really feel that burden at all. Um, the burden that I feel that I think it's translated into vision is, Lord, I know you have us here, and I know you've surrounded us with great people, and and they love you, and they love this community, love this church, and and what what great emphasis, what mark uh, are you going to make? And and so you know, with with the whiteboards, ideas, uh, clarity, and then I have a lot of one on one meetings. You know, mm-hmm. whether it's a phone call, whether it's texting, whether it's just walking into offices and just bouncing off. Hey, I saw you, um, you know, I, I saw you were a little hesitant, you know, cause you know, they may not want to speak up in a larger group, uh, in the way that they can speak to me personally. It's like, Hey, what are you thinking? Like, did we miss something? Um, do you have something to add or, and, and through the larger groups and then the smaller groups and a lot of texting and a lot of phone calls, um, we're able to say, okay, we're on board. And let's just run with what God's given us for this coming year. Ed, when you had that revelation from God that, oh man, I've been spending a lot of time with the people, but I really need to give the priority of my time to, you know, to my key leaders, as as Jesus did. Um, what perceptible impact did that have on your staff, and what did you notice with them? Well, I think that they began to. Uh, feel loved and appreciated and cared for and valued. Uh, and, you know, it also, it also increased uh, friction uh, and disagreement and <laughs> accountability um, both ways. Uh, yeah. So I think that there was a little bit of uh, response both ways, but that's all part of relationship. Um, but I have, uh, I, I just, I have a real heart to, support pastors, to encourage them, to check in on them, to pray for them all around the country, even around the world. It's just so grateful. I can't believe that uh, God allows me to do uh, what I'm doing and to be involved in so many wonderful lives. And and at the same time, though, when I am thinking about reaching out to a pastor in Colorado Springs, um, I want to make sure I remember, I also have a pastor in Aurora. Yeah. Um, I have a few that that yeah. are just as important, and, and I want to pray for them, and they like they're valuable. And I, I found that it was more positive than negative, um, for sure. And, and, and some people, uh, back in, this was the early days. Um, they, they, as I shared this great revelation of God doing, they kind of felt mad at me, uh, for the years I didn't pay attention to them. Like I did it on purpose or something and they weren't able to come along. It was a great revelation to me, but then they're like, Oh, wow, thanks. I've been here three years and you didn't really care, which isn't true. However, I was doing it wrong, and they carried the weight of of that sin. Uh, you know, I, I guess I could call it a sinful decision. There's going to be consequences to that. Mm. So some guys were upset that I didn't come to that revelation earlier. Uh, yeah, I'm reminded of the saying: "What's real to a person is real to that person." And so <laughs> their perception was reality to them. You know, yeah. it's it, it's funny, Nate, when you were talking about how you used to think you know you would share the vision once and think, okay, I, I shared it. They got it. I, I early on, I fell into that same trap and it wasn't until, um, the Lord really stirred my heart reading in Peter where Peter says, you know, I, 
um, seek to stir up your minds by way of reminder. And it was like God said, you need to do that. And and so for for me, you know, at our church at Calvary Vista, we actually do do um, every year a, a Vision Sunday. And I wouldn't say that it's necessarily casting a new vision. It's just communicating our vision in a new way. And so, for instance, this year, and usually a lot of times it's a word that the Lord gives me or two words that the Lord gives me. And, and this year, it sound a little bit corny, but the two words that God gave me for our church for this year was deep and wide. And the idea being that we want to grow deep in our love and understanding of Jesus, which is our discipleship. And then we want to go wide in our reach for Jesus, which is our outreach. And this year we actually printed a giant poster that, that is right at the entry of our building that everybody has to walk by it every single time they walk into the sanctuary. And so I'm looking to re-communicate that, you know, that way mm -hmm. and in the messages. And then probably we do our staff meeting every Tuesday and, and probably almost every Tuesday in one way or another, I'm reminding our staff of what that, you know, vision is. Because the reminder is so important for people to get it, you know, and they're not going to get it the first time is what I've found. Now, Ed, when... When we talk about casting vision to the church body, um, how does that look for you? And how far out are you casting vision with the body? I have an idea. It's probably just continual because you said you don't really yeah. do a vision Sunday type of a thing at Calvary Aurora. Now, you know, we don't have a schedule. Well, but, but before that, I would say, you, did you say your two words were deep and wide? Yeah. Because our words are wide and deep this year. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, you know, we don't have this scheduled vision, but from time to time, you know, we'll, I'll definitely, um, you know, give the fundamentals of who we are. It's, it's a repetitive thing, but I think it's been coming very naturally. And, you know, I have to say that um, for the sake of those listening, you know, there was a traumatic event in my life uh, eight years ago, my son passed away and everything changed for me mm -hmm. and I'm not so uptight about stuff anymore. I'm not like, I'm, I'm not, I'm just, even, you know, even though I am pretty focused on how I do things, I just relaxed a little bit in my own personality to, if I don't have something by January, I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I'm okay with, um, I'm okay with just going with the flow at least more than I ever have been before. Uh, and sometimes I, I guess I could be perceived as uh, being lackadaisical or apathetic. It's not, uh, but it is a big shift from how the first, you know, let's say 13 years of how we ran this, how, how we ran and oversaw this church. And, and, but one of the things that I've kept Rob over the, over the years, one of the things I've kept is we, we, I, I tell the guys with me that serve with me, you cannot over communicate with me. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you can't, it's impossible. And if, if if even the last guy that said he was going to try, I buried him. He, he won't be able to re over communicate. I want to hear everything. I want to hear good, bad. I'll check in on you. You check in on me. I, you you will not over communicate. You can text me anytime, and if I if I'm available, I'll answer. If I'm not, I'll answer when I am available. And I that's carried over into our church. So when we like this year, um, God really God really just 
overwhelmed me probably back, I don't know, September, you know, with all the tension last year, everybody, everybody's talking about church is essential and all of that. The, the Lord really led me to the, where we're headed this year. And, and the phrase that came was, hey, man, the world's going to be the world, but the church needs to be the church. Mm-hmm. And I just kept saying that every, every message. It wasn't like on purpose. It was just in me. It's like, man, if we have to, if we have to tell the, ch- the world that the church is essential, maybe we're not as essential as we think we are mm-hmm. uh, because we have to communicate that. Like it's, it, it, and that was, that, that was my perception, my perspective of everything. And so we kept saying that. We we're saying it at staff meetings. And now for this year, what it's become is, Here's our 2021 is we're going to be the church. That's it. Be the church. And I've communicated it in messages. It'll probably be at least monthly, maybe every couple of weeks. This is like last night, you know, in first Peter, um, this is an example, be the church. Um, Peter talks about when they defame you as evildoers, uh, let your good works um, be seen so that they'll praise God on the day of visitation. Like that's the, be the church. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we have missions, March, you know, every March we emphasize mission, be the church. And mm-hmm. so what we're going to do is uh, every year we make T-shirts, we make different designs. Mm-hmm. Um, we make them available to the church. All the proceeds go to missions so they can just be wearing them all year. They can be using them. They can wash their cars with them if they want to. But at least <laughs> they'll be thinking of be the church, be the church, be the church. Uh, we put things on, you know, we print things, documents make sure it's the web and one of the things we've done is we've remodeled the building is we just started painting things on the wall Mm. uh, and making it permanent and so when you know the overall vision of our church like you i have the banner we have it painted right on the wall and the phrase is we will do anything short of sin to reach the lost i love that and everybody has to see it every you know it's probably to the point where you start to not see it anymore but um, we'll emphasize it. And, and if something happens and we're sharing a testimony, we'll emphasize it. See what the Lord's doing. We're going to be the church. We're going to, we're, I know the whole world's locked down, but we're going to take off on a short-term trip and we're going to be the church. And we're just going to continually with just like banners, posters, apparel, um, our graphics so that it's just continually before them. Uh, mm-hmm. And hopefully along the way, people catch it and, you know, if we had one moment in everybody's lives where they go, you know what, today I'm the church, mm. um, cool. I think that would be a home run. Yeah, that's really cool. What about you, Nate? How do you cast vision to the body? And uh, and does your body know, like, would you say they would, they actually know what your 25-year plan is? I'd say to a degree they know what the 25-year plan is and what I, what I mean by that. I mean, and it's probably just as much as I know, right? Because who really knows what's going to happen in 25 years. But uh, as they look at me, they can see, okay, this guy's intent on teaching the Bible over and over again. So apparently that's the 25-year plan. And then I'm always talking about, you know, the desire to multiply and plant churches. So they could assume you know, that that would be the kind of thing over the next 25 years that we would continue to do. So I don't have to tell them, hey, in 25 years, you know, this community, we want to see a Calvary in this city, this city, this city, this city, this city, this city. I mean, I've done that before, but it's just they should be able to, from everything we've communicated and continue to communicate, come to that conclusion that, okay, that's what 
we're doing together as a church and we're for that. Um, you know, but there's obviously so much to the next 25 years that none of us know about. So on that level, they, no, they don't know the 25 year vision because I don't know it either, but we'll get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as how I like, did you ask me how I, yeah. How do you cast, you just, how do you cast vision with the body? I mean, we've kind of covered that. Um, but if you sure. want to just give a real quick kind of how you do that with the body as a whole. You know, one thing, I mean, for me, somebody told me years ago, they said, look, the man is the message. You know, you, you in one sense, what you're doing, opening up the Bible, giving it that kind of prominence, that's part of the vision, right? You know, mm-hmm. we have a vision that the people would have a high regard for the Bible and what God says and the gospel that's contained therein. So I'm acting that out every week, right? That's part of what they're seeing it me do and opening scripture, treating it respectfully, wanting to find Jesus there inside of it, proclaiming grace, you know, all of these things, that's part of the vision of what we want for their lives. So in a sense, just being me is part of communicating the vision. And then of course, you know, I, like I said earlier, I love to write. So when it's like a big thing that we're working through, you know, like a building project or something like that, you know, I like to write about it to kind of let people see the mm. process, the logic, you know, the, the needs, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, i mentioned in the message and, and all of that, but, and I will from, I, we don't know, do a mission or a, a vision Sunday, but I will from time to time when needed take 20 minutes to give like a massive presentation on something that's, you know, a church shifting kind of uh, thing that we're doing. But one thing that I would also mention is God has really led me because uh, I'm kind of one of these guys, you know, when I get into the pulpit in front of everybody, I just really don't want to waste anybody's time. And, you know, I, I, I haven't met any pastor who has a regular problem of ending his sermon too early, you know? <laughs> so I'm, I'm always conscious of that. You know, I get up there and it's like, look, I've got a certain amount of minutes to deal with here. And I know they'll give me grace if I go a little bit long, but I just want to get into it so yeah. I can maximize my time. But what I found over the years was that that meant that I was not really sharing much vision outside of the sermons with the people. So I felt the Holy Spirit just kind of saying to me, hey, say something before every message. Say something Mm. that has to do with how you're seeing things, what God is doing today, even if it's just you picking one of the events that are coming up in the church and saying why you think that's important, that's part of sharing Mm. that vision. So just go up there, tell them to open up their Bibles to such and such an address. And while they're turning there, give them two minutes of, you know, vision and then pray and get into the word. So that's been helpful for me because I don't often feel like I have something to share but when the spirit just puts it on you like that, like, bro, you got to say something, mm. then it helps me just think it through and go, oh, you know, actually, I, I have a lot more to share vision wise than I probably thought I did. And so I'm going to share about this this week and this the next week. And 
it just kind of kept me in the groove of communicating with the people, which they, you know, so appreciate. I love that. Yeah, that's excellent. And, you know, as I listen to you guys, uh, so many things standing out. Uh, two of the key ones, Nate, you're talking about keeping the vision fresh and before the people. And, uh, Ed, you're talking really about establishing a culture within your staff where uh, they can uh, challenge and ask questions and um, where you, you had said that it, it increased conflict, but that was good because it gave you the opportunity to work through things. Um, and, uh, and so a couple of great takeaways for me personally. Um, I want to pivot here, uh, no pun intended, because uh, I want to talk to you about pivoting. Uh, 2020, we, we all got very <laughs> familiar with that term and, and the reality of pivoting. And, um, and so, you know, it's true in this year, not just regarding our practices, um, but as it pertains to our visions. So, um, you know, how, how did you guys handle that? Nate, we'll start with you. Keeping your vision intact, but then having uh, everything challenged so radically. Yeah, it was a fun year of ministry, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was It was challenging. You know, for us, uh, the vision remained the same. You know, our church's vision is Jesus famous. We want the, the fame, honor, glory of Christ to permeate through every man, woman, and child in our church community and in this region. So, you know, it just had a different uh, feel to it you know, in 2020, obviously, but that was still our same mission and goal. And I think it helped us in some ways because I think there were pressures from in the church and outside of the church to behave in certain ways. And to me, we would just go back to our vision. Well, does this glorify Christ if mm -hmm. we act in this way or don't act in this way? And it just helped us kind of navigate those times. Um, so I, I don't know how much detail you want. You can ask any follow-up questions that you'd like to, Ted, but it was a wild year. I don't feel like it's quite over. <laughs> uh, you know, here the Monterey Peninsula is, uh, you know, when it comes to COVID, I've described the community as probably one of the most cautious in the United States. So mm -hmm. it's uh, it still is a big hurdle for us. It's a very liberal-leaning community and, and uh, politically, so there's been so many issues, you know, to navigate through and, and deal with, but uh, it's just, I think the probably the word I've used is it's just been stretching, you know, because you're trying to, we're, we're meeting on site, but we're also meeting online still and doing two separate types of gatherings for both of those venues. We're not just live streaming the Sunday gathering. And, um, uh, that's challenging. You know, the team is challenged. The volunteers are challenged. The staff is challenged. Um, but yeah, we were able to do it. And I felt for me, you know, it was my prayer life improved. My dependence on God improved my, I feel like my preaching improved my boldness increased. Um, because I was just pressing in to the Lord week after week, God, you got to give me the words to say, to these people, they're shaken up, they're confused, they're angry, they're stressed. Um, but I think for us, at least in our context, it actually, let's say, let's just use numbers. Let's say at the beginning of the year, at the beginning of 2020, let's say maybe 
50% of the church was about the vision of this church, and the other half was like, you know, they're checking it out, or it's just the church they picked or whatever. I think at the end of 2020, we were much closer to the 100% mark of people that are in on the vision of this church, because we just had to really proclaim it this year and say, no, we're not about that. We are about this. And that, that kind of identification, it's a dividing line for a lot of people because, you know, it makes them say, that's not the kind of church I want to be a part of, or dang, I love this church, you know? And so I feel like it was a greatly unifying experience for us in in a lot of ways and, and still is. Uh, Ed, how about you? What what have been your experiences? Well, that's a great way of looking at it. That's a very positive, like to look at the end of the year and listen to Nate talk like it's, um, I would um, I would not have, had he, had I gone first, I would not have said it was a unifying experience. <laughs> um, however, his description of it is really just the flip side of the coin of how I think most of us feel it. I think that's perfect. And that's the divisiveness. And he included that, like it, the, the, this pandemic, the government overreach, uh, the racial tensions coming to the surface again, the riots, the uh, co-opting of the gospel, with a, which is impossible. Even saying that, you don't co-opt the gospel because once you do, it's not the gospel anymore. Right. Um, and all of that, in in light, of, in on top of not being able to meet together. Um, a, a real virus with real consequences aside from the government. It's, it's been a, it's, it's been a very challenging, hard year on top of that. Um, on our team, uh, we have the privilege of having a staff of pastors and through 2020 and now here into the next couple months here, we've lost three pastors mm-hmm. um, for a variety of reasons. However, I would, I would say that, that the pressure and difficulties of COVID uh, accelerated probably some of the exits. Um, I mean, I know they did. And so we, we enter in uh, to this year, um, you know, down to full-time positions um, and waiting for them, waiting for what God's going to do with that. And, you know, I think when this all went down, we pretty much thought it was going to be over by Easter. Um, And here we are, it's almost Easter a year later. Right. <laughs> and, and so we had to, you know, it was like getting for, for as we experienced here in Colorado, a little less uh, dramatic thing our friends in California did. But as we experienced it here, uh, we, you know, everything came to an abrupt stop. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like we had to slam the brakes on and, and the, for whatever reason, the Lord has given me, uh, I wouldn't say like uh, some prophetic insight on all this, but he gave me a, a sense to, Listen carefully to our governor because he was tipping his hand at every time. He he everybody was listening to him for the moment, but the Lord was giving me insight. Like, no, he's telling you what's going to happen in a couple weeks as well. Mm-hmm. And 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 it was a really bizarre experience because I'm like, no, no, I know we got the, you guys didn't hear the governor right. He's he's actually saying this is going to happen. He's mm-hmm. going to shut down and he's going to. And so we called a big meeting. You know, we stopped. Before they shut us down, and we actually shut down early, one week before he did, mm. uh, and anticipation that he would do it, anticipation that it would probably be safer to do it. It would, you know. So we made some calculated decisions that I think really benefited us 
down the road in terms of overseeing the congregation because the the what we were able to communicate to the church was uh, we're, we're taking our lead from the Holy Spirit, not from the government. Mm-hmm. Um, and and what we found was is that most of the time the Holy Spirit was leading us right alongside of the government. It was not as dramatic as it may seem to some just watching the news. Like we we wanted safety, we wanted security, we we wanted um, the congregation to uh, understand that we cared about them and we wanted to demonstrate that to them. Uh, we want our community to understand that we care for them and demonstrate to them. And so the bigger picture uh, funnels that we chose um, helped us in the real challenging day by day. And and man, it's still challenging. Like to this, it's still very challenging because our approach was a hyper conservative approach. And that's just who I am. But I think that's how God uses me. And and so that what I mean by a hyper conservative is that it was much easier, um, you know, it was much easier to close. That was an easy pivot. It was really easy. I mean, it was hard in the sense like we've never done this before, but but that's not even entirely true. We have closed our church on multiple occasions, uh, completely online only. In Colorado, they call that a snow day. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I had never experienced it, you know, growing up in Southern California, but this idea that, oh, we've never closed our church and we have to meet in the building. That's not true. Mm. We close it all the time um, we, for the safety of the people. We don't want them on icy roads. We, It's okay. You don't have to. I mean, how many times have we preached this message? The church is not a building. The church is not a building. And then all of a sudden, when there's some tension in with government officials, all of a sudden, church is only the building. Mm. And... And obviously, we're not going to get into all the nuances of that discussion, but the reality is, is that, um, well, I just put it this way. I was talking to a dad yesterday, and he was, he's in a different stage of parenting than I am. I've raised my kids into adulthood now. He's got teenagers. And as we were talking about his one particular issue, I said, look, let me tell you the biggest mistake I made as a dad. And I made it repetitively, and I wish I wouldn't have. And with each successive kid, you improve, right? Um, so my oldest got most of this, but here's the thing. The biggest mistake I made as a kid was overreacting, mm-hmm. uh, to whatever he brought me, whatever it was. And I think that that's the same in pastoring. Some of the biggest mistakes I've ever made that led me to sin or to make a sinful decision was overreacting. Mm-hmm. And that's I so believe good. the Holy Spirit wanted us to, to reasonably, um, stop, wait, and then follow his lead. And that generally, uh, although that probably wouldn't be on the whiteboard, um, but the whiteboard exercise for this was, how is everybody feeling? Um, what do you guys think about this? And, you know, that's when we find out, well, my mom's in a, in a nursing home, and if she gets this virus, it could be fatal. Or, ah, you know, I get sick all the time. It's okay. And then merging together so that we have mutual, if, if we have mutual respect for one another and our staff, then that's going to pour out into mutual respect and we'll all just go with the flow, even when we disagree with the decisions. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. so good. So good. You know, that's, that, just ahead, a Nate. dovetail on that, if I might, yeah. I know we're pushing up against the clock, but I love that response, Ed. And we were, we felt the same way here. You know, we, I don't think I was always out in front of things, but I tried to communicate to people early on because I could tell that we were going to have people in the same congregation that were on 
polar opposite vantage points. And so we shared from the very beginning, listen, we, for our part as elders, we're not infectious disease experts. We didn't go to school for this. <laughs> and so we just told them, look, we're, we've, we've got no choice except we're just going to go along with what the governing authorities, uh, what their guidelines are. They can't tell us to shut down. We don't really believe that. We're God's church. Nothing can stop his church. But if they ask us not to meet for public health, we're going to go as far as they want us to. But we're not going to be more extreme than that either, because there were some people in the church that it was like, you shouldn't meet until 2022, no matter what the governing authorities (laughs) allow, you know? Mm -hmm. So we just had to kind of like, give them that vision. That's where we're going. And then what I discovered real quickly was that because I would give these presentations and kind of walk people through, here's the logic, here's why we're doing it this way, you know, try to reason with them. And what I really began discovering was everybody had their logic for why they saw it the way they saw it. You know, everybody had a website or a doctor (laughs) or a medical expert, somebody out there that was telling them, logically, this is how you should behave right now. So what I started doing is I realized, you know, I've been here in the pulpit for 13 years now. They know what I'm about. They know I'm about Jesus. They know I'm about the word. I think they can see that I'm not a man of compromise. And so what I started doing was appealing more to their hearts and just saying, hey, here's the logic. I'm appealing to your head. But even if you disagree, I just want you to know I love you, and I hope you can come with me, because I hope you know that I love Jesus, that the pastors here love Jesus, and we're just really trying our best right now. And there were some great people who I knew disagreed with the decisions we were making, but who really learned about Christian maturity and submission during that time and said, but even though that's not what I would do, I support my pastors. And uh, it's that was, I think, part of the unifying effect because there were obviously some people in the church who couldn't do that. They couldn't make that decision and, and follow during a time that they, where they disagreed because it was that big of an issue uh, for them. Nate, I love what you share because, you know, what you're communicating when you communicate vision, a big part of it is just communicating your heart. Uh, as the shepherd that has been, you know, uh, entrusted with this flock and the people see you as uh, as their their under shepherd, so to speak, under Christ. So, uh, you know, I love yeah. that. And Ed, you may not realize it, but you actually gave a great uh, plug for a future episode that we're going to have because we're going to focus a future episode on uh, biggest mistakes and best decisions. So, uh, <laughs> you sharing the the mistake that that was solid gold, and uh, we look forward to that in the future. Well, I would love for all my failures to be very encouraging to you. <laughs> you know, I wrote a book uh, called Lessons from a Church Planner, The Things I Learned from My Mistakes. I think it was eight <laughs> chapters all on mistakes. So anyway, well, hey, that's all the time that we have for today. And I just want to thank you guys so much for joining us and being our guest. Um, you guys did an awesome job and just appreciate your hearts, appreciate the way that you lead and the way that you are um, ministering to your churches and to other pastors. And uh, I I know I speak for Ted when we say um, we're really thankful to be able to call you guys friends. Well, thank you, brothers. All right, man. So thankful you guys are doing this. Yeah. God bless. God bless you guys. Bye-bye.
Thanks. Well, that's going to conclude our conversation for today. And we hope that you enjoyed this conversation on vision with Nate Holdridge and Ed Taylor. Next week, we're going to follow up this conversation with a bonus conversation on vision. And our guests are going to be Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Church in Longmont, Colorado. Whitefields is a mid-sized church that is really making a tremendous impact in their community. And Nick is a great visionary leader that I know you're going to enjoy hearing from. And our other guest will be Mark Foreman. Mark is the pastor of North Coast Calvary Chapel in Carlsbad, California. And Mark is one of the best and humble leaders I have ever met. His church is making an incredible and broad impact in their community. So don't miss this bonus episode of the Leadership Collective podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and subscribe on whatever podcast platform that you're listening on. I'm Rob Sabato. I'm Ted Leavenworth. And we look forward to being with you next time on the Leadership Collective.